Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, ABC, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, a lot of other shows. And uh, she did her own 90-minute PBS special last year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Good evening, Mari. Good evening. We have a great show tonight. You know, Lloyd, it's always so fun when we get to go to events and meet wonderful new people. And just recently, we were at a charity event, and we got introduced to this wonderful man, Craig Williams, who's an attorney and a an author and just a great guy. So we invited him to come out, since he's right in Orange County here, to join us on the water, since he's a water person. So we are sitting on a boat in beautiful Newport Harbor and a little field interview. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Craig Williams, who is an attorney, technology law guru, and author of How to Get Sued. Craig Williams is the founding member of the Williams Lindbergh Law Firm. Craig's practice focuses in the areas of complex business litigation with emphasis on environmental, real estate, land use, and technology law. He also handles white-collar crime matters. And most importantly, he is the author of his new book called How to Get Sued, an instructional guide. It's a witty approach to litigation, from the top 10 ways to get sued to the unwritten rules for dealing with judges. J. Craig Williams shines an irreverent light on America's crazy court system. He's the author also of the popular blog, May It Please the Court. Craig puts together an entertaining, accessible take on the world of litigation. Readers will walk away amused and enlightened and with a better view of the world of litigation and what it's really like in America's courtrooms. Besides his book on how to get sued, he was a contributing reporter on environmental litigation, of the ABA Real Estate Quarterly Report, and he's the author of many, many other articles, and you can learn more about that at our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy, and also at his website, and we're going to give that to you in a moment as well. But another fun reason of why we wanted to do this on a boat is because 
Craig is an avid sailor, having sailed and interned in the Tall Ships Race on board the Square Sail Barkentine, which is the United States Coast Guard Cutter Eagle. He was a member of the Coast Guard Academy sailing team in New London, Connecticut, and he's also crewed for the America's Cup America 3. Incidentally, he is also a dive master and scuba instructor. Boy, we could go out with him, couldn't we, Lloyd? That would be fun. That's why we're on the water, and we're so thrilled that you joined us, Craig. Thanks for coming on board. Well, thank you, Mari. Thank you, Lloyd. Great to be here. Yeah, it's fun. I'm so glad we got to meet you right here in Orange County. All the wonderful people that we don't even know until recently. It's great. It makes me feel right at home being on the water. I know. It's, you know, we're not getting seasick. We're just sitting here looking at the wind, the water, and the boats. It's really delightful. Let me ask you one question before we start. You, you also do white-collar crime. Have you ever really represented an identity thief? No, never an identity theft. Most of the white-collar criminal work that I've done have been in the environmental arena where people have been charged with felonies for alleged pollution and, and uh, contamination issues. Oh, I see. Okay. I just wondered I was going to give you a hard time, but I don't have to. So tell me, I know you write a lot about technology and you do programs for attorneys on technology. How would you get to be such a techie? You know, I think it maybe it had to do with my handwriting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I find it a lot easier to type on the computer. And when I went to law school, they had a brand new law school and brand new computers. And they sat me down and said, here you go. And I couldn't figure out how to make it work. So like every good man, I just sat and read the instructions. Right. So I read the whole manual all the way through, and it suddenly made sense. So I think it started with that. And um, typing is a lot easier for people to read my handwriting uh, or read my writing than it is my handwriting. Oh, yeah, I can't write worth it down. I remember when I took the bar, what, 25 years ago, I, I took it, I typed it. Uh, because I know I couldn't even read my writing, and I knew that nobody was going to be able to read it. So I agree with you. But I'm not as techie, I don't think, as you are, although, you know, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Good. You've done programs about how technology has changed the legal profession. Why don't you tell my audience how technology has changed the legal profession? It's been a profound change. I mean, the big difference I see is that lawyers are so much more able to do research. You know, it used to be that when we went to the law library, it would take, uh, you know, an hour to go down to the courthouse and look through the library unless you, if you didn't have one in your own office, and a lot of lawyers did. But now we do all that research online. So you can conduct a search, and to be honest with you, most of my searches even start with Google right now. I, if I can find the answer in a case or something that's just out on the Internet, then I'll start my research there, and only after I find that initial research will I delve into Lexis or Westlaw, one of the proprietary online services that we pay for. Uh, but I think that the biggest change has been in research. Right, right. And even communicating with clients. I know that I, yeah, email. When you need something from a client, you can talk to them and you can call them on the phone, but you can also email them in the middle of the night. The only issue is about how do you protect the confidential data. So I, I started using WinZip to do my, my encryption when I do a, an attachment for my clients. What do you suggest for attorneys and others to do to get uh, keep their email confidential. You can get an encryption key, uh, a, a digital signature, and that's a very good way to encrypt emails. Our retainer agreement with all of our clients 
makes that an option and very few people choose it but I try to encourage them to it's a little more expensive it adds a little bit of money to the communications but it certainly is something that keeps the communications confidential right I mean even now I think the new Microsoft office has a much better uh, password you know like password protection and security as well which is you know, free if you use Microsoft Office. It's not as good as like the WinZip, which is 250-bit encryption, but it's pretty good. Yeah, you know, I have a service that we use that is encrypted. Uh, we log into it encrypted, and it's a basically an FTP service. But we encrypt the data that we put into it, and the room or the, the file area that we go into and, and deposit our documents. Then our clients come in through an encrypted basis and, oh, and uh -huh. get that document if it's a very large file. Our firm also has a double passworded system for our clients to be able to access their file in in our server. So they can come right to us over the internet 24-7 and be able to access their documents. Oh, that's great. And then now we can download everything from from the courts too and, and get to see what's out there and use PACER and what, you know, why don't you talk about all that kind of aspect of how the legal profession has changed where you can just really get access to this stuff that you never could get access to easily before. Yeah, PACER's the federal government's response to being able to get documents online uh, from the courthouse and there's a small cost for it but anything that, and it's, I say anything but really not anything right now because they're in the process of scanning in all of the older documents. But there are many things available on court files uh, that are filed with the court. You can go into you know Smith versus Jones case and you can pull up everything that's been filed in that case and you know can't have your own little voyeuristic read of all the litigation that's going on. You don't even have to watch TV anymore. <laughs> right, and, and and that also means that non-attorneys can do that too, can't they, in certain instances? Yeah, that's what they mean by public record. It's yes. open to everybody. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the dangers of that. What are some of the dangers of this new age here? Well, one of the biggest dangers I see is the revelation of private information like social security numbers, checking account numbers, um, driver's license numbers, all the kind of basic things that you try to keep to yourself and not let other people do, you list in various documents. I mean, you write them down, and lawsuits typically have a phase that's called the discovery phase, where you can go ask the other side to produce their set of documents that are responsive to certain issues in the case. So when you do that, those documents then become available online. Yes. We make a policy in our firm of redacting or whiting out the bank account numbers. Yeah, you this, mask that. Yeah, yes. for Social Security and everything else so that the information is not available because if it gets in the public record, right. anybody can see it. Yes, and who knows, when it gets in the public record, how many more times it can be downloaded or copied or shared or whatever. So. And it can be across the world in a matter of seconds. Exactly, exactly. So what do you think about e-filing? Actually, I think it's a, a great um, a great resource. It has a disadvantage of putting some of the attorney services out of business yes. or lessening the person that comes to your office to pick up the piece of paper to drive it down to the courthouse. Right. Because attorneys are notoriously last minute. We, you know, we <laughs> yeah. wait wait till the last possible moment to send the filing right. down to the courthouse. But now you can file it online. I think it's a so you can file it at the very last second online. <laughs> yeah, you can. Although you have to make sure that you leave enough leeway because, as you know, with computers. Anything and everything will go wrong, and if it's going to go wrong, it'll go wrong at 4.29 in the afternoon when the courthouse closes at 4.30, and right. then you're late. Right, right. 
So what are some of the benefits then of e-filing for, for you and for your clients? It's less expensive, uh, generally faster, saves on paper, right. saves on gas. Uh, instead of driving things down to the courthouse, we can just electronically mail them. Everything that we file is then uh, able to be read through optical character readers, OCR, so you can search and find terms in it. Um, so in electronic documents, I think personally for me, are a lot easier to deal with than paper documents because I like to read on the computer screen. Right. One of the things I like is, as an expert witness is if somebody says something, it's so easy for me to grab it right there instead of retyping it. Is just grab it and say this in quote. This came from a particular, uh, you know, the plaintiff said this or whatever. Or even for a deposition, I can just cut and paste in, and then it's electronic, and then I can send it electronically. It just is so fast. So much faster. Yeah. The, I think the burden, though, again, gets back to those privacy issues, doesn't it, Craig? You really have to pay attention as an attorney and as a client of an attorney, or if you're doing your own filing as an individual, you very much have to pay attention to what you're putting in the public record because once it's out there, it's out there. Right. It gets on the Internet archives, and it's almost impossible to get rid of. Right. We have some laws, you know, that and, and policies by our court that you do redact the Social Security number. But, for example, in family law, they have certain forms that have to have the Social Security number on it, they say, for, um, for child support purposes. Right. And, and that, even though it doesn't get filed in some of the records, guess who has access to it? All the people that get to see it sitting on some file in the courthouse. So, well, everybody in the government does because they're the ones trying to collect the child support. Right, right. I, I still redact. I only give the last four digits. I don't follow the rules. But I haven't had it thrown back to me in my face, so, so far so good. So what kind of policies do you recommend to protect privacy? I think that it's most important to keep shredding as much information as you have. You know, don't put anything in the trash. We have, in our law firm, we have uh, shredders that uh, don't allow anything to get out, and then we even give it and we recycle the paper. So not only does it get shredded, it also gets recycled. And it's just not discoverable at that point. Uh, you need to make sure that when you're online and using passwords that you don't use the same s short password for everything that's not just all numbers. But like our passwords on our system where we allow our clients to log in, we require passwords that have characters in them letters, numbers. uppercase, numbers, yeah. so that they're very strong passwords and very difficult to break. And we tell our clients that they can't just choose the 1234 that they use at home uh, for their own passwords. And they shouldn't passwords. be using it at home either. No, they shouldn't. <laughs> no. But I, I think shredding is a, is a big policy and making sure that you keep your information as private as possible. And just question everybody that asks you for a social security number. Why do you need it? Can you do whatever it is that you're trying to do without that information? Will you take my driver's license or will you take my mother's maiden name instead? Or Yeah, well, something? we don't even want to use that because that's available. That's on your mother's, your mother's maiden name is on your birth certificate, which is available on the Internet, too. So That's exactly right. Yeah, so we have to be like a, a whole privacy consciousness. What do you think about most law firms? Now, you're pre you guys are pretty techy, and you do technology law, but there's a lot of law firms that are not up to speed. What is, what is your take on how privacy-conscious attorneys are? 
Well, given the number of people that take the seminars that I offer at uh, the Orange County Bar Association has this last dash, and, and technically, or not technically, but typically, the uh, that seminar on legal technology is the most attended seminar in mm. that in that event. So I would say that most lawyers are not very tech savvy. I mean, you constantly run up against the lawyer that's been in practice for 40 years right. who doesn't even do email. Right. And they, that, don't, they let their secretary do all right. the computer work. That's right. The secretary is the one who gets the email and responds to it for the lawyer. And it's, um, it's a, there's, a, there's a ground shift. I mean, my son is practicing law, and he's over in Phoenix. So he's much more tech savvy than the lawyer that I originally started working for who's in his 70s. But um, he probably taught you. It's like my kid when he was in seventh grade and I got him his first computer. I mean, he's now 29 years old, but he's the one that taught me. Of course, now I've really caught up and, and know what I'm doing. But I can tell you, he's the one who taught me on the computer when I bought it for him. It's just amazing that that generation is the one that's teaching their parents. It is. and it's. Uh, it, but that change is coming, so people are becoming more savvy and becoming more privacy conscious. But on the other hand, the surprising thing to see in the younger generation of my, ch my child or my children, and even younger than that, are the number of people that are so much more willing to put up private information yes. On social networking sites. Yes. MySpace and Friendster and Match.com and all those different ones. Yeah. I, I had someone uh, solicit me for some business that they wanted us to do some technology work for them. And while I was on the phone with a uh, young woman who was talking to me, I Googled her name and found out that last weekend she'd been at a party and got <laughs> drunk. Oh, no. And... You know, and I said to her at the end of the conversation, I said, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to choose to do business with you because if you're that free with your information. How are you going to protect How mine? are you going to protect buying <laughs> and how are you going to protect my client's information? Exactly. I can't have that. Yes. Yeah. So it and was isn't different. that terrible? I mean, it really is that these kids don't realize the ramifications of what they're doing. It's significant. It's not only children that are doing it because no. there's some adults that are doing the same thing. No, you're absolutely right. Today, also, I had a conversation with a guy that I had met. He he does radio and he's a radio agent, and I had I couldn't find his website, so I googled him. Like you said, Google somebody, and um, I found a contract that he a, a contract proposal. So when I got on the phone with him, I said to him, I said, Roy, I said. Did you know that there is a whole contract proposal online? When I Googled your name, it came up because you're kidding. And uh, I directed him to that, and I said, you might want to have them take that down. And you never know what's going to get up there. I mean, when's the last time you Googled yourself, Craig? Um, I have a Google alert set up with my oh. name and with every lawyer's name in my firm so that I know what's being said on the Internet about everybody in the firm. So what does it do? It sends you an email? Yeah, you, Google alerts will send you an email if you ever get your name ever gets put up on the Internet. And all you do is set it up with quotes. So it starts out, quote, J. Period Craig Williams, yeah. unquote. Yes. And whenever my name gets mentioned anywhere, it sends me an email alert to say, Here's where you've been mentioned, and I click on it, look at it, and if it's okay, I let it go. And if it's not, then I'll have a talk with whoever it is that's talk using my name. What a great! I didn't know that. So, so how do you initiate that? On the Google web page, if you were to type in Google Alerts, you'll get uh, okay. that information, 
and then just simply put in the information that you want to know in quotes okay because it'll search for that exact term with the right. spaces and characters yes. and so forth and it'll send you an email as long as you give it your email address now do you have to have gmail to be able to do that no nope, you don't need any gmail. any email any email is fine you know my son just went to work for google in New York City. So Congratulations. I, yeah, yeah, and I keep giving him a hard time about all the stu privacy stuff with Google, and he keeps telling me, Mom, Google's, their mission statement has that they're dedicated to privacy, and I said, okay, okay, I, but uh, yeah, so it's kind of well, fun. The, the Google Street View is a really That's interesting issue, issue. Yeah, why don't you talk to my clients, my clients, <laughs> my audience about that, because I get scared about that one. Well, Google has a car or a series of cars that have, I think, seven or eight cameras mounted on a tripod on the top of the car, and all they do is drive around streets. So you can use the Google, uh, Google Map, and if you see that the map has been highlighted in blue, then you can click on it and zoom in and take a look as if you were standing on the street in the middle of the day and look at the house or look at whatever you do. And there's been some issues with... Uh, because you can zoom in, right? People have said, "Well, you know, <laughs> there I am changing my clothes in the front window, <laughs> and, and I got I'm on uh, Google Street View." Right. But you can write to Google and request them to take your house off, and they will do it. Right. So, you know, there's a lawsuit going on right now mm -hmm. about these people who live. I guess it was a long road, and they felt that they bought this house because it was not readily uh, visible from the street, and they sued Google. For, for going ahead and Invasion of privacy. Yes, right. yes. Well, I, I live in a community that has uh, gates in it, so not everybody can get in, although to me sometimes it seems like everybody can get in. <laughs> right. Um, the gardener. The gardener brings his friends right, in. Right, right. Yeah. But interestingly, I, I checked the street view around the area where I live, and there are, uh, completely outside our development, is every, everything is exposed to the uh, street view, but our street, our uh, our complex You're is com not. Oh, very good. Okay, yeah. you're protected from Google. We're speaking right now, sitting here in beautiful Newport Bay, right on a boat, with Craig Williams, who is the founding member of the Williams Lindbergh Law Firm, and his practices focuses on the area of complex business litigation and technology and lots of other stuff. And the fun thing is, is that he is the author of this new, really fun, lighter side of how real life becomes real litigation. And the name of the book is How to Get Sued by Craig Williams, an instructional guide. It is really fun. I read this actually while I was on this boat. Oh, good. Yeah, we were in Catalina, and I thought that was, you know, a nice uh, Memorial Day weekend. So it was a while ago. But I thought, you know, I'm going to take some light reading along, and I had to read it so I could have this interview, and I had a good time. I hope it made you laugh. Oh, it did make me laugh. It was, I especially uh, got a kick out of all your disclaimers, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But it, it is, it's really a fun book. I wanted to ask you also, let's talk about some of the issues in your book. First of all, how did you write this book? Well, I started writing uh, my legal blog, May It Please the Court, about five years ago. And How to Get Sued is the very first title oh. of the first post that I did. I thought, if I'm going to do this, part of the reason I wanted to do it was for people that are out there to know that I'm a lawyer and, you know, if they need some legal representation, they can hire us. So... It seemed to also make sense that if I was going to write to people that needed to hire a lawyer, I could poke a little bit of fun at it and say, well, here's how to go ahead and get sued. And Reverse I had, psychology. Exactly. <laughs> right. Satire. Right. I had written a, a book proposal after I had written a number of these things that were in here, 
Send it out to agents. They all turn me down. Oh, yeah, that's typical. Nothing but pink slips. Then I thought, all right, well, those agents don't know what they're talking about. I'll just go right to the publisher. Right. And the same thing happened. Nothing (laughs) but pink slips for about a year. I put the book aside and figured, you know, I'll I'll do a a self-publishing at some point in time. Right. And then last November, I got an email out of the blue from Kaplan Publishing, the company that does the test prep classes and so Uh forth for the LSAT Uh and the GRE. Yes, yes. And they said, we're now expanding out of test preparation and moving into trade books. Would you be willing to write a book for us? Oh. I said, sure. Here you go. I already got it. I got one. <laughs> and they had, uh, I had written at that point about 25,000 words. And it had taken me four years. Okay. Uh, but I hadn't been doing it on a regular basis. And they said in the contract that they sent to me, well, we want 50,000 words. Uh-oh. Like, so it's like, oh, okay, sabbatical no. time. <laughs> no kidding. But surprisingly enough, I sat down over Thanksgiving vacation and I wrote the rest of it and actually wrote 60,000 words altogether. Oh, fun. So gave it to them and, you know, here it is several months later and there's a book out. Yeah, and it's fun. It really is fun. I would think with all the heavy stress of being a lawyer and all the litigation you're in that this must be some kind of a relief for you to do this. It is. you know, And I am a very big believer in writing briefs to the court for my clients that are just simply the facts and persuasive and deal with the law. I don't like to see, and we don't do it in the firm, a lot of adjectives and adverbs where you describe those kind of nasty little snide comments that sometimes yeah. you'll see in some briefs. Right. Because I don't think judges like that. No. And it's not It's not really the courtesy of our profession no. that we want to project. Exactly right. And so this book is a nice outlet for that because it's full of adjectives and adverbs. <laughs> <laughs> and so you saved things. up all those adjective and adverbs for this book, right? Exactly right. Yeah, I got all my frustrations out here. <laughs> okay, so how did you... Oh, yeah, you talked about how you picked the title. You have a very conversational writing in your book. Is is that a, a result of your writing experiences? It really is. Uh, one of the things... I teach legal writing at one of the local law schools at Chapman, and I'm a very big believer that the hereby, heretofore, notwithstanding this and that that it's almost impossible to read those kinds of of briefs or letters. And it makes it very, as you said, cumbersome. So I take all of that out, and we do that in our legal writing because I think it makes it more persuasive to the judge and makes it easier to read. And if you make something easier to read, you're more likely to get what you want. Uh, So my, my tack is to make it as simple as possible, but yet there's an intelligent aspect to it where I, I don't try to talk down to people. I use a lot of, you know, 50-cent words to say, as, as my dad would would say every mm-hmm. once in a while. But it's it's definitely an easier uh, book to read because it is more conversational. Right, right. So satire is a great quality in this book. Where does that come from? Well, I'd have to say my dad. I mean, it it's the kind of thing that um, you, know, you, you would say to him uh, something like, well, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm going to go to the store, um, and he and he would say, well, you know, do you need any money? And I would say, well, yes, of course I'm going to the store, and you know, I need, I need money, money because sure. I've got to pay for something that's there. So uh, he's he was a very uh, he's a minister, and uh, wherever that sarcasm came from with him, I don't know, but I think I certainly picked it up from him. <laughs> that's fun. So each one of the, the stories that are in your book, you start out with a quote. And, and I do that in my books, too. I, I always pick a quote that's going to be meaningful for me and kind of fun. You have some great quotes in there. So um, 
how does the f- quote fit in with all of your little stories? Well, the quote will always relate in some way or another to the story that's being told. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a little kid, uh, my parents used to get the Reader's Digest, and the first thing oh, yeah. I would do is flip open to the to the quotes at the end of the story because I thought that was the most fun part. And I thought, well, I'm going to write this book, and I do it on, on my legal blog as well. There's always a quote, and the quote relates directly to the story because sometimes it's even more of a bit of a poke, but very subtle poke. You have to pay attention and yes. to get it. Yeah. You know, where do you get your quotes? I go online, and I look for – there's these quote – online, you can actually do quotations and quotes and – Quotes on love, quotes on happiness, quotes on Father's Day. I was doing that when I, at the end of every one of my bills, I put a little quote (laughs) in something fun. Yeah. And so Father's Day was coming up for June, you know, for June, July, whatever. I was putting a quote in June. I did a Father's Day quote and a little poem at the end of my bill. I always give a little something extra. That's a great idea. It's fun. I think I'll start doing that. And so that's what I did. I went online. I was looking for Father's Day quotes, and then I was looking for Fourth of July Day quotes, and then I was looking for Thanksgiving quotes, that kind of stuff. And uh, it's kind of fun to put at the end of your bill, and it's like a little added value and a little a little poem or something that says, hey, I, I appreciate your business. Here's a little something. Now pay me on time. <laughs> that's a great idea. There are a number of places on the Internet where you can find quotes. There's also a number of great books. Bartlett's Book of Quotations yes, is a good source that. for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them, uh, some people send them to me. I get people know that I like quotes, and so every once in a while people will send me uh, emails with quotes in them. I use some of those. Or uh, I think my most reliable source is uh, the Internet. Right. Even my speaking engagements, I always end with a quote with a picture as something. Great you know, idea. Um, it's, it's really a fun thing. So I really, I enjoyed that. I thought Good. some of these quotes, I'm, I, you might see them again. <laughs> Go right ahead and use <laughs> them. Because they're not ours, right? Nope. Yeah, I know from my, from my negotiation class, there's a great quote by John F. Kennedy. It was um, after, I think he, he wrote this, I think it was uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and he said, never fear to negotiate, no, oh, never negotiate out of fear, but never fear to negotiate. Right. I thought that was a great one. That's he was good with turning phrases like that. Wasn't Asking he? He had what a good you could do for your country. Yes. Yeah, Didn't way. he have a really good speechwriter who who did those quotes? I think for him, but he he delivered them beautifully. Of course, we remember people who are listening to this. Maybe don't even remember that. So we're showing our age here, but we won't do that anymore. Okay, you mentioned several judges in your book. You have a whole little chapter on that, and um, you say that they're a breed of their themselves. Can you talk about that? You know, judges really are a breed unto themselves, and, and you know it, I'm sure, from going to court yourself, because there are some times when you just marvel at the decisions that they make. But one of my favorite judge stories in this book is a, it's actually an older one from, I think, the early 60s. There was a man, and I'm sure you've heard of these kind of wacky cases, where he sued the state of New Jersey because someone had shined a laser beam into his eye and it altered his brain and the way that he thinks and he wanted compensation for it well you know of course it didn't happen but the judge took it upon himself to write an opinion that said you know i'm really not quite sure that we should take jurisdiction over this case because lasers are regulated by the federal communications commission and what they really need to do is have the fcc hear this case but frankly i don't even understand why it's a case in itself he said you know, if 
you had just done what those gasoline trucks do when they fill up at the gas station. They always use the grounding static cable that they connect to the ground to make sure that there's not a spark that flies and lights the gas on fire. So when someone shined the laser beam in your eye, if you had just attached some paper clips to the cuff of your pants and dragged them along behind you, it would have never happened in the first place. So you have to know that there's this guy in New Jersey wandering around with some paper clips stuck to the back of his pants, and this it's all because of this judge's opinion. <laughs> it's classic. So how do you find these crazy stories? I mean, you have some real crazy stories in this book. They're, they really are. Um, most of them come to me from people that send me emails that know that I write about this stuff, and I can really skewer it even a little bit further. Uh, some I find online, some I find in newspapers, some in magazines. It's just that, I, I don't know, maybe I'm a magnet for these kinds of things, but they, they seem to come my way. And I really started writing on my legal blog about slip opinions, which you mm -hmm. know are just the most recent opinions that come out from the court on slips of paper. And I thought, well, it's a great way to, you know, talk about the law and about the areas of law where I practice. Right. And the new stuff coming out. Right. And, what, and the and, new and thought. It yeah. helps the businesses that I represent and, right. and other people like that. Sure. So, so they know what to watch out for. Right. It would be helpful to them. But, and then I, th I saw, I kept seeing these little weird, <laughs> odd stories. And I thought, boy, that just kind of tickles me. And I'm going to write up, write about it. So I don't always be, I'm not always serious on, on my blog. And I tend to sprinkle these things in there because I figured it made me laugh it would make other people exactly. laugh exactly and here's a whole book of it right we're speaking with Craig Williams who wrote this wonderful light side, light book about litigation how to get sued an instructor's guide that's J Craig Williams and Craig why not, while we are talking about this why don't you give the website for the book as well so people can look at it and decide if they want to get it the book is called how it how to get sued and it's at how to get sued.com uh, it's available through all the major bookstores, Barnes and Noble. Amazon.com too. Yep. And right now it's sitting at number one on Amazon in the uh, law and business categories. What fun! So it's doing great. Well, gosh, we got you before you do your whole media tour on all the TV shows, huh? You're the first. Actually, <laughs> I've I've been on one TV show, but it won't come out until September. Well, very good. Well, we're the first one, so yep. so it's lucky that I got you. You're going to have to autograph this book for me. Happy to do it. Okay. <laughs> and I'll make the same offer to your listeners. They pick up the book. Uh, my contact information is on howtogetsued.com. Send it to me. I will sign it, and I'll take care of the postage sending it back to you. Okay, and you're going to give them a quote, too? You, you bet. <laughs> very good. So let's go forward. Uh, the forward of your book was written by Chief Judge of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, Alex Kaczynski. This is a, a court right underneath the, the, the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court. So how did you get that judge to write your foreword? I argued a case in front of Judge Kaczynski when he was uh, not the chief judge. And uh, I got to know him from that case because uh, I was fairly aggressive in my argument, and he was fairly aggressive with me. <laughs> and uh, we became uh, good friends. And... I actually wrote a blog post about him called the Kaczynski Tug. I kept seeing him. I was watching a streaming video of him in, a, in an oral argument, and I kept seeing him tug on his ear like uh, Carol Burnett does, yeah, yeah. which is another thing that will show, show our age. Um, but And I, I 
wrote a post about it and said, what is he doing? Is he really sending a signal or is this some type of, you know, <laughs> what's he doing? You know, I mean, it's, it's one of those said to the lawyers or something. But he actually wrote to me and said that, uh, no, he had written to a number of judges that he corresponds with all across the world. He's a very avid uh, correspondence person. He said, I told them that I would say hi by simply tugging my, on my ear. So he goes, I can't believe you picked that up. And ever since then, we've become good friends. We go to lunch on a, on a regular basis, and uh, he's given me some advice about helping my son uh, practice law and, and uh, clerkships and so forth. So he's been a big help. And I, when the book came out, I was looking for someone to write the forward, and I couldn't imagine anybody better than him. I know. Isn't that fun when you get to somebody to do that? That's that's terrific. So let's talk about the top ten ways to get sued. So um, I'm going to ask you to give me a little example of each one of these. The first one, if you want to get sued, fall in love. Well, you know, that's an easy one because a lot, almost everybody does it at some point in time yeah. in their life. Actually, it highlights one of my favorite um, stories in the book about Otis Cecil Wilkins yeah. who lived you know somewhere where the sun doesn't shine very much and I think pretty much out in the boonies and as you can probably tell from his name Otis Cecil had a girlfriend that he had broken up with and he had um, tried to keep her away from his property and uh, she kept wanting to come out to see him so he decided to make a little homemade bomb mm -hmm. And the next time he saw her, he was going to grab it and pick it up and throw it at her to scare her and make her leave the property, which, of course, is a very dangerous thing to do. Don't try this at home. <laughs> and uh, did I mention that Otis Cecil smokes? No, you did not. Uh-oh. And, and then as soon as he picked up that homemade bomb, the ash from his cigarette dropped and lit the fuse of the bomb. The, bomb, the fuse was too short, and he realized that, dropped it, and the... Uh, bomb blew up right in front of him and caused him some injuries. He had to go to the hospital. Of course, the police were upset because, you know, he was trying to, they thought he was trying to endanger someone else. And his response was, no, 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 no. it's just a little boom thing. And I was really trying to blow up that uh, beaver dam across the way. <laughs> so uh, love can do strange things to people. Right. That's, that's a dangerous one. And especially when we know about lawsuits about divorce and the significant others that caused this. How about, what else would you like? Well, we've got, let me give you all of these and you tell me which stories you want to talk about. Another way to get sued is own a business. So that's one thing I do. Uh-oh. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, the, there's a funny one in that book, uh, in the book about owning a business, and it's really about a patent. And it's almost embarrassing because, um, you know, there are some people that have, and you, I'm sure you've seen it, the comb over, you know, where they've got, just hair on the left and hair on the oh, right, right and, and right, no right. hair in the middle, but they've yes, grown I the hair. Yes, have a relative that has <laughs> They've grown the hair long on one side and then just combed it over. Right. Well, there are two guys that actually patented that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. And I, I couldn't understand why they would patent such a foolish invention other than to simply say to somebody, hey, buddy, I got a patent on that comb over. You owe me five bucks. Either that or get rid of it. No, that would Change do us all a favor. Right exactly. <laughs> that would be the only reason I could think to do it, but I'm sure there are others. How about uh, commit a crime? That's a good one. You know, committing a crime is a. There are a ton of things to do to um, commit a crime. Um, one of my favorite ones, and actually, I'm not really sure what the crime was, but it was written by, uh, it was an appellate opinion written by Justice William Bedsworth, who's one of our, oh, yeah. our local appellate. I used appellate... to work for him many years oh, ago. Oh, really? Yeah. 
then I'm sure appeals in, in the DA's office. Right, I'm sure you appreciate his humor. Oh, criminal waste of space. I love it. Yeah. Yes. So his um, he wrote an opinion asking whether or not it was whether or not the person or the policeman had probable cause to pull over an axe-wielding bicyclist at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> that simple turn of the phrase was enough to answer the question because yeah. anybody who reads that is going to say, "Well, of course you should pull the guy over." <laughs> but it, and it, that really demonstrates uh, in a very classic single sentence all about legal writing because if you can make a statement like that, there's only one answer. And you're going to win your case. Exactly. How about going to work? That's a good one. You know, there is going to work is a um, well. Yeah, there's one in here. I probably shouldn't. Harassment and all those other good things that happen. Yeah, there's a there is a case out in Palm Springs where um, some a woman and a man apparently convinced other women that sex for the man was his supposed therapy for a bag injury <laughs> and uh, last time I checked sex like that was prostitution and I, and they but the surprising thing to me was that it took the police two years to investigate that and figure out that you know that was really prostitution so there's the the title of that one is called read this read that job description carefully Oh, gosh. Uh, go to work. Live on Earth. That's another one. Um, I should just read all these for my for my audience to hear this, and then you can choose which ones you want to talk about. We talked about fall in love, own a business, commit a crime, go to work, live on Earth, have children. Oh, that's a good one. Enjoy yourself, indulge a few vices, own a pet, and own a home. So which other ones do you want to talk about? Because those are great. Well, live on Earth is a funny one because they there's a thing here again in California called Proposition 65, mm -hmm. and you've seen those signs on the side of buildings and parking decks, and it says something like this facility is known to cause use can, uh, chemicals that are known to the state of California to cause cancer, birth defects, and reproductive harm. Can you tell I do environmental law? <laughs> anyway, the surprising thing to me was that they actually sued a chocolate manufacturer because there was lead in chocolate. Well, uh, there's lead in practically everything. Yeah. And lead naturally occurs in chocolate because it comes in part from the ground, and there's lead that occurs naturally in the ground. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I wrote, is your chocolate a little too heavy? <laughs> because it, it uh, seems to me at some point in time that sanity has to settle in and realize that you can't take nature out of everything, and that's why there are limits on lead, you know, that it, you can't put too much lead in paint that, that injures children, but lead in chocolate, that's a level that's naturally occurring, you're going to breathe that that much or more in right. on a regular basis anyway. So that was, to me, a funny one. Well, a lot of these are really funny, but what do you think? I mean, people really do make fun of us as as lawyers, don't they? I mean, some of the crazy lawsuits that are filed... You know, there there are a lot of crazy lawsuits that lawyers file, and there's also a lot of crazy clients out there that ask us to file these lawsuits. Right. Of course, we don't have to say yes. No, we don't. <laughs> but on the other hand, there's one of the one of the attorneys here in Orange County, Mark Robinson, who is the one who filed the lawsuit on the Ford Pinto. Yes. That was a very dangerous car and caused a lot of people a lot of injuries. Right. So as a consequence of his lawsuit, cars and the position of gas tanks in cars 
got redesigned. Yes. And the world is a safer place for people like from people like right. Mark. But that was not a frivolous lawsuit. Not at all. That was one where people were very badly injured. I remember that. I remember right. that from law school, the Pinto case. And right. Of course, he's the one that we met at that that night. He at that charity event. He was the one who. That's right. Was uh, got the award. That's right. That's why I mentioned it. Yeah. Terrific. At the very end of your book, there's a there's a whole section that is hysterical called disclaimers. <laughs> you know how everybody has a disclaimer at the back. You know this is not legal advice, but you know some of the stuff you have in there. Why don't you read some of it? Those are hysterical. You might, you know, my my sense was it goes on for for pages, and I thought you must have been drinking by the time you were writing the disclaimer <laughs> portion because it got crazier and crazier as we went along. It it, it is actually uh, crazy. Because there are, um, there's a heck of a lot of disclaimers. And I, to be honest with you, some of the, and it says it in the book, that um, there are some many people that have uh, written portions of this disclaimer. <laughs> and uh, I liberally borrowed it. In fact, the, the disclaimer itself admits that the disclaimer's been stolen and, and names the people that I stole it from. Um, but I, I, I. Then you got a little crazy. You said, like, one prize per customer. Uh, contains wheat, right. batteries not included, contents may settle during shipment. I mean, you really got a little insane, didn't you? Yeah. In fact, I took every possible disclaimer that I think I've ever <laughs> seen and put it at the end of the book because, you know, there are so many things in here that... That you're afraid you're going to get sued I, about. <laughs> I'm actually not worried about it. I'm a lawyer, so that's perfectly fine. Right. But... Um, there's just crazy. Beware of owls. Contestants have been briefed on some questions before the show. You know, limited time offer. Call now to ensure prompt delivery. You must be present when to win. You need not be present to win. No pass is accepted for this engagement. It, it just goes did on and on. Did you just like start t- making a list of all the crazy disclaimers that you saw? I did, and then I kept. And it really, if you think about it, you all you have to do is just reach almost anything within your grasp. If you pick it up, there will be a disclaimer on it. I mean, here's a can of Diet Coke. Mm-hmm. And I, don't, I think this one's in here. It says, and I can't, I'm going to say this wrong. It says something like phenylketneuronics, <laughs> you know, which are, I guess, people that are allergic to phenylketneuron or whatever that <laughs> whatever is, that phenylalanine. Is. You know, and so it, it says, caution, you know, this, this drink contains this. So reach out, grab something, and see if you can find a disclaimer on it because I'm sure it's going to be there. Exactly. I remember when I first came to California, and you remember the sign that of the people running across the, the highway. The highway that was somewhat of a disclaimer. Only I heard the people from Mexico who were coming up thought that that was the the sign. That's the where they're go. supposed to cross. <laughs> yeah. So there can be some confusion with disclaimers as well. So, what advice do you give someone who wants to sue someone? What do you say? Talk to the other person first. Sit down and have a conversation. And learn what it is that either they want or you want from them and see what you can do to communicate it openly and fairly. Like your grandparents taught you to do, do what's right because that solves more problems than anything else. Sooner or later, you're going to hear it in the lawsuit and after you've spent tens of thousands of dollars to get to that point, the judge is going to make you sit down and engage in mediation or engage in arbitration or in a settlement conference and you've don't want to after you spend a hundred thousand dollars or so in litigation or right. more or slightly less you don't want to hear what you could have heard at the very beginning of the lawsuit even before it was filed i think that we can solve a lot of our problems by simply talking to 
the people that we're upset with and apologize if necessary, pay a little bit of money. Yeah, it's free to apologize. Yeah, it doesn't cost <laughs> it doesn't anything cost other, a penny. other than your pride. And I'm glad you talked about mediation because, you know, that that's my forte. Is, right. But trying to keep people out of court. Also, it keeps their privacy, too, because if they settle in a confidential settlement before they even file the lawsuit, none of that becomes public record. And judges are very respectful of confidential settlements. Yes, they, yes, and the whole court system. Up. Exactly. Uh, let's see. So tell us a little bit more about your law firm and how listeners can reach you if they need a lawyer. Our law firm is a WLF-law.com, and we can be reached at 949-833-3088. And on that website, in fact, on how to get sued and on how to, on May It Please the Court, our, my other uh, blog, you'll be able to get our contact information and give us a call if you need some help. But most of all, what I'd really like your listeners to do is go out to the bookstores and get howtogetsued.com so they can learn or how You're to not, get sued, yeah, how not to get, get sued. <laughs> right. Right. How to get sued so they won't get sued or at least have some fun and see the ridiculousness. I think one of the, the beauties about this book is that when you read these ridiculous lawsuits that people got into that they might say gee you know i was thinking of doing something like that and they might realize that it's totally idiotic right I, the book this book seems to me to be a lot more interesting than a book on how to avoid getting sued but each one of the chapters contains a little thing that says seriously now lessons learned about ways to avoid lawsuits and the bonus materials which are on the website on Ta how to talk get to sued us about the bonus materials those materials will give you a description of what to do if you get sued, mm -hmm. how to hire a lawyer, what to expect in the lawsuit, how long it's going to last, what it's going to cost, and the process that's involved. And then, again, referring people to you, like mediation, to solve right. their problems. Right. So what do you tell people? I think, you know, this is one thing that people sometimes will just open up the yellow pages to get a lawyer. What do you think? What, what do you tell people about how they should really find a lawyer? The best way to find a lawyer is to find someone who's been involved with a lawyer, uh, a business person, or uh, someone else who's been in a lawsuit. Talk to that person. See if they got along with their lawyer. And if, you're, if you have to resort to opening up the yellow pages, I would first recommend websites like Lawyer.com uh, or Lawyers.com and Avvo.com, which is a new one, A-V-V-O.com, mm -hmm. that rates lawyers and rates them for consumers. So you can see how uh, what they think of their credentials. And yeah, I read about that in the Daily Journal. I saw there was a lot of um, concern for abuse on that. Well, there, there was. And in, actually, in the beginning, when I went to look at it, I was dead. <laughs> oh no! And I and I wrote about it, uh, and have become good friends with the the. Um, How are you, president. Dad? I had been in practice for fifty six years, <laughs> and I was no longer in practice. And of course, at that time, I think I'd been in practice for twenty years. So, so um, there was some kind of identity theft or identity no, mix up. No, it just mixed me up with another lawyer that had a very similar name and thought that I was dead. And it's um, really lucky you went on there to look at that. Yeah. <laughs> I was very pleased about being able to get off that list. But there's there are websites like Avo and Lawyers.com that will give you recommendations for other lawyers. But if you have to pull open the yellow pages, I think the best thing to do is then go meet with the lawyer. See if your personalities match. Talk to the lawyer. Usually most lawyers will give you a free consultation or some version. At least of, by phone. Right. Yeah, if not by in person. Yeah, because you're going to be with that lawyer for the better part of a year. Right. If not more, in a lawsuit. So you might as well make sure that you get along with him and you trust him. And talk to two or three people so that you can gauge 
you know, rates, you can gauge experience, you can gauge how their personalities are, and look at their credentials because, as you know, I mean, that's and look on their, the state bar wherever. Right. If you're in California, the state bar will say if there's um, if somebody's on probation, right, or, or whether that's they're really even a lawyer. Right, you know, we, right. That's we, one of the things we've had this, identity theft yeah. of, of people who, who right, go ahead. You yeah. were going to talk well, about one of the things in the book is about a guy who started practicing law and started representing people. I think he was representing them for ten dollars yes. to deal with a traffic ticket. Right, right. And the judge thought ten bucks. Come on. Yeah. And you know said let's see that bar license mm -hmm. you can check online with the state bar of california or for that matter any bar right and find out whether the person that you're thinking about hiring is even a lawyer right or if somebody is committing identity theft because i don't know if you know this craig but the person who stole my identity was parading as an attorney with by business cards pretending oh to be a lawyer yeah yeah but i did so, read about that yeah so i mean and this has happened to other lawyers in in our state and in our county as well so yeah you want to make sure that the person is who they say that they are another thing they could even call up the orange county bar association if they're in an orange county or call up a bar association and find out about that person if they're a member and also there's a referral service right the lawyer referral service in the orange county bar association is a great place to find a lawyer and if you're involved in a criminal matter, of course, it's the only time when a court will appoint a lawyer if you can't afford one. They don't right. do that in civil cases. But uh, that's another way to you know find a lawyer, even though you may not be able to afford one. But if you can't afford a lawyer, usually the lawyer referral service of any county is a good place to locate one. Right. You know, I want to get back to the blog because I was on your blog today getting a kick out of it. And you had other blogs. You had, talk about Bill Bedsworth, you had his blog there, too, on Criminal Waste of Space. Yeah, we actually host it. Yeah, yeah, it was great, and I saw several, several blogs on there. You know, people are, I don't have a blog. I have three websites, but I don't have a blog. Tell me the advantages of a blog and the disadvantages of a blog. Well, I think the major advantage of a blog is that you have the opportunity to get more exposure because typically if you follow the format of a blog, which is to post on a fairly frequent basis, other bloggers or writers will link to your website and Google's search mechanisms look at websites for frequency of change. Mm -hmm. They look at for the number of outgoing links and the number of incoming links. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm sure there's more to their ranking uh, algorithm than just that. Maybe your son can tell you. I was you. just going to say, I have to call Brian on his second day of work and right. ask him. But there is an algorithm that Google uses to determine uh, page ranking. Mm. So. If you include, if you meet those three criteria, you change your website frequently, oh. you have a lot of incoming and outgoing links, the, really the only way you can get incoming links or people linking to you is to link to them. And if your content changes frequently, other bloggers will typically do that. You'll see on the left side of my blog, May It Please the Court, there's a very long list of blogs that I typically read. I use a news, ag or news aggregator to get the, the like feeds for Like a clipping service? Uh-huh. Well, actually, it's a there's a process called really simple syndication, oh. RSS feeds. Right. And there are news aggregators. FeedBurner is one of the websites that has a, uh, an aggregator. And you simply enter in the address, and then every day when you open up the program, it gives you the feeds from all of those oh. blogs so you can scan them quickly. Right. How do you have time? I mean, I'm overwhelmed because I get I have a clipping service and and all privacy issues, and of course, then I leave my legal stuff. And 
How do you have time? Are you up like, uh, you know, yeah. four in the morning reading? Well, I, I'm up until two in the morning reading. And yeah. I get up. My, my schedule shifted the other way. Isn't that hard? I enjoy reading. I mean, it, I'm sure like you, having gone to law school, I can't sit down anywhere. If there's a book or some paper in front of me, I'm going to pick it up and read it. <laughs> right, right. It's a habit. I know. I mean, I just feel kind of overwhelmed by all the stuff that I would love to read on the Internet that I don't have time. I mean, how do you have time to read all that and write all your blogs? It's difficult to do and have a life. Yeah. It, it really I is. I mean, how often do you get to go scuba diving and sailing? <laughs> uh, I, I get to go sailing fairly frequently and, and scuba diving usually once or twice a year um, and skiing once or twice a year. Okay. So you take your book with you when you're up on the ski lift and you're reading your book? <laughs> yeah. I take a I take a computer along with me everywhere I go, and I usually write on the computer fairly frequently. I love yeah. doing it. I, I love practicing law, and I love writing. That's just two of my biggest passions. Well, you do a great job at both. Okay, Lloyd says we just don't, don't have much time, so I'm going to be telling everybody that they have to get the book, How to Get Sued, an instructional guide by J. Craig Williams. It's lots of fun. It's light reading. You could take it along on a vacation or on the on the airplane and get a kick out of these little stories. What I like about it is I could read a few stories and then I could put it down and then read it. It's not like I'm in the middle of something. I love that. It's fast. It's quick. It's fun. It was great. It's an easy read. You can, pick, you can flip the book open anywhere and start reading and you won't feel like you're out of place. Right. And you can actually skip around, which is great about it too. So we will tell everybody to do that and we're also going to tell them to go to wlf-law.com to find out more about your law practice and then you give them let's see we've also got may it please the court.com to see your wonderful fun blog and how to get sued.com to find out more about your book right and if you want to see about me it's also jcraigwilliams.com so easy. We easy got we got you all over the internet. That's exactly right. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us, Craig, and for coming all the way over here across town to oh, get funny. on the boat and see some water and have some fun. Thank you very much. Well, we will get together again. Maybe we'll go sailing with you and scuba diving with you and all sorts of good stuff. Great. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, your host. Thank you to Lloyd for being a great engineer and taking his time to come down here to the boat. And uh, you can listen to us every Wednesday night from 5 to 6 p.m. right here. Thank you for joining us. Good night. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. here on 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. And we're welcoming back Robert Stoffel, who's the Director of Communications for the Orange County Sheriff's Department. He's been working in communications for Orange County since 1989. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you, Mari. Nice to be here. You know, last week we talked about the communications division and what they do, but tell us a little bit about the history of the communications division. Well, communications in Orange County, as far as public safety communications, actually dates back to 1934. And in 1934, the County Board of Supervisors at that time approved a one-way radio transmitter that would allow transmissions to go out to the field, but the technology wasn't there yet for someone to pick up a microphone in their patrol car and talk back to the dispatcher. 
So one-way transmissions is what we started with in 1934, and over the years, as technology improved, Orange County moved along with that technology. We've had what's known as an interoperable radio system for many, many years, and for most of your listeners, that may not mean anything, but what it does mean to all of us in Orange County is that we have the ability to have our first responders, our law and fire and lifeguard and public works personnel responding to a major emergency, the ability to use one radio and talk to each other and coordinate that routine day-to-day emergency or something major like a wildland fire in the Santiago area that we had last year or perhaps something even as devastating as 9-11. What's unique about Orange County is that for many years we've had an interoperable system in place. Unfortunately, you read about some of these major disasters around the country. They did not have a communication system as such and had difficulty in coordinating that response. Well, that makes us a lot safer. Absolutely. Tell us more about the different services you provide for the sheriff in the county. You know, one thing that might be of interest to your listeners is we have a volunteer group of amateur radio operators. These are folks that use ham radios. And we have a group called the Radio Amateur Civil Emergency Service, called Hmm. RACES for short. That's anybody that's got a ham license and they'd like to to provide a service to the public and to the public safety community. They can use their amateur radio equipment, and we use those folks in emergencies and disasters to help uh, provide communication services above and beyond what our day-to-day systems provide. And if you have someone out there that thinks they might be interested in that, they can go to our website, which is www.ocraces, which is short for OC Races. So www.ocraces.org, and they can learn more about the Races program. Well, terrific. We appreciate all the great work that you're doing and keeping in communication to keep us safe. Thank you very much. So thank you, Robert. We'll take care. Thanks.